You're listening to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Where do the Lib Dems go from here? That's to power. The to power interjects, my guest. Uh, all of a sudden, you'll hear the voice, dulcet tones of Mark Pack there. Um, where do the Lib Dems go from here? They've been in Brighton this week at their conference, but there's been a lot of discussion about how the party gets back to former glory days or not, depending on your perspective of the coalition years. Um, I'm joined, as you just heard, with uh, by Mark Pack from the Lib Dem Newswire. Mark, welcome to Polling Matters. Right. Lovely to be back again. Uh, good to have you back again. Um, so I suppose you were there at conference in Brighton yep. uh, this week. I'm keen to get your impressions. There seemed to be a lot of negativity in the media, of the polit- polit- political media. I'll read you out some tweets just to sort of make you feel welcome. Jim Pickard has tweeted, the Liberal Democrat Party uh, has become the kid at school who you knew was a nice, clever guy and everything, but you didn't want to be seen with him in case his unpopularity rubbed off on you. Mark Wallace, who may not be entirely neutral in this from Conservative Home, uh, said, we're three days into Lib Dem conference and nobody's noticed. Henry Zefferman said on the... uh, uh, the Red Box podcast, that the mood at Lib Dem conference was one of despondency. doesn't paint a very rosy picture. How did you find it? Uh, I was not despondent, and I think generally conference wasn't despondent. I think there is, I mean, to be fair to someone like Henry Zefferman, who, you know, does some, does some proper serious reporting, I think there is a real challenge that a lot of political journalists have with the Lib Dems, is that A, for most of them, I mean, you know, it doesn't spend much it's not worth them spending much time learning much about the Lib Dems. Mm. You know, it doesn't take up enough of their, their job, at least at the moment. Uh, but also, I suspect a lot of them are slightly stuck with having sources in the party who are very much figures from the past. Um, and I've noticed this particularly in their coverage around the party reform debates at conference. There are loads of Lib Dems, those keen on the reforms and those not keen on the reforms, who are very happy to speak out in public mm-hmm. about it. And yet you do see a lot of the mainstream media coverage is studded with anonymous sources, you know, being quoted on a topic which it's really easy to get people on the record about yeah, yeah. if you actually know some of the current Lib Dems. So I, I suspect there is a little bit of, you know... As, as in all parties, as in fact all places, all sort of normal places of work and so on, you know, the people from the past are often the most despondent about things aren't as good as in their day. That there's a little bit of overdosing on people who were important, say, five years ago as the unnamed sources that journalists talk to. And I suspect very few of them actually talk to many people who joined the party within the last year or two and are the sorts of people who have, say, become councillors now. Or but it didn't, it, didn't, it didn't start well as a conference, did it? We had Gina Miller, who at one point was being talked up as a potential leader from outside the party. Uh, being talked up st- by, again, those unnamed sources. Maybe, maybe so. But then she, she got on stage and explained why she wasn't a Liberal Democrat and why you should stop talking about Brexit. Um I mean, I think if you read her speech, actually, the speech was a perfectly good, decent speech. And her bit about not being a Lib Dem, I mean, it's no different than when uh, I remember a few years back uh, when John Monks was uh, uh, the leader of the TUC. And he came and spoke at a Lib Dem conference and he simply said, you know, made clear that he wasn't a Liberal Democrat either. But he was happy to talk to people for whom on some issues there was there was common ground. All, all political parties, in fact, have, you know, high profile speakers who come to their conference who are not members or uh, members of their their party or signed up supporters of their party. So again, I think that was a little bit of mischief making by by sort of journalists who go for the the slightly lame joke rather than the, the little bit of journalism. So it wasn't a mood of despondency then. What what did you pick up being there? 
So what, 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 what was Lib Dem Conference like for you? Well, it was sort of the warm-up to what will almost certainly be a leadership contest next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Vince said uh, just before conference that he would stay on until Brexit was resolved. So I guess if you take that literally, he is going to be party leader until 2047 or thereabouts. <laughs> uh, but much more likely that means that he will stay on as party leader through any possible referendum or early general election in how the first it, how, how do you think year, his leadership but... will be viewed by historians obviously Vince Cable mm. you know whatever you think mm. of him whichever you know listeners mm. will have different political persuasions <coughs> um, but he's a major figure in the coalition government mm. business secretary he's now been the leader of the Liberal Democrats obviously a a, a, a big career he's a significant career in politics but then his leadership I don't know it's been a challenging one hasn't it because this is a party I would characterise personally struggling to find mm. its voice and struggling to, well, to have a voice full stop. I mean, I think there's a couple of uh, particular events that are likely to change how people view Vince Cable's leadership. One is, I think, the spring elections, the May elections next year. If you look at the field of which wards are up for election in May, they are predominantly the sorts of wards the party has been doing really well in in council by-elections. So there's a decent possibility, I'd even put it at more than 50-50 chance, that he will be able to sort of end his leadership on having delivered a whole set of party reforms but also a round of local elections in which the party has gained several hundred seats and had mm-hmm. its best result in that round of elections for, for, for a long time. In which case, I think people will say, uh, yeah, he didn't quite maybe sort of uh, strike the absolute uh, jackpot, but he left the party in a much better state than mm-hmm. when, he, when he became leader. On the other hand, of course, if sort of Brexit all sails through without really any grit, grit in the system, if the party has a disappointing set of local election results, if maybe also the party has the disaster of another leadership election with only one candidate, it will look very, very different. So I think I think that is still very much an open question, in part because how the party reforms go, how many people if you know sign up then as registered supporters, assuming we go ahead with that, what will the May elections be like? Those are still events yet to come. Sure. I mean, one of the more striking, more interesting debates that I picked up from the Lib Dem conference was this, because it reminded me of Labour back when I used to be a member of the party, was this kind of debate of um, how does the Liberal Democrat Party ch- uh, treat the coalition years? Mm, you know? And you absolutely. had, I think Jo Swinson was, I don't know if she mentioned an apology explicitly, but she was talking very much in the terms that the party yeah. should apologise for that. Nick Clegg, not surprisingly, uh, yeah. not of that view, wants to uh, embrace those years. Um it's a real challenge for the Lib Dems, isn't it? I mean, my perspective here would be that whatever, whether it's an apology or not, there needs to be a, a sense of freshness and a sense mm. of uh, drawing a line under the past for the party. But before we even get into what it should do, what do you pick up from the activists? Yeah. So I think there is a real, it's a, because it's a difficult issue. You know, it's yeah. not that there is, it is obviously right to completely repudiate the past or to completely defend the past. There is quite a range of, a range of views. Um, and I think in a way it's a slightly, there's, there's a real mismatch between the evidence and between conventional wisdom. So conventional wisdom is the Liberal Democrats were awful in coalition and loads of people hate them as a result. The evidence, if you look at things like the British election studies data, is that, yeah, there is a chunk of people who really hate the Lib Dems, but an awful lot of them are sort of fairly hardcore left-wingers who would really pretty much hated the Lib Dems at every every moment, except when the Lib Dems were, were disagreeing with Tony Blair on Iraq. So, yeah. you know, there's... there's and, I, and most people's view the sort of, of, the, of the Lib Dems in coalition is not hatred, but it's more of 
I guess you sort of fluffed it a bit. You didn't. You got a few good things. You didn't do quite as well as you should have. It, it's almost sort of indifference and sort of much more muted than the conventional wisdom. Um, and so I think this issue can be overplayed a little bit as yeah. to how much to real voters out there uh, is it. it is, but is you that can the see the thing? Joe Swinson yeah. line, right? Is that whether it could even be her? Maybe I'm not sure what her leadership ambitions are. Maybe you could tell me. But I mean, it strikes me that you know, if a Lib Dem leader comes in, maybe it's a mm. bit unfair. But they say, okay, I don't agree with the coalition. We're not going to do that again. Uh, let's draw a line under that. We're now about the future. Yeah. And Vince Cable, because he was part of that, is never going to be that leader, right? Mm. Whereas maybe a new fresh face can capitalise on yeah. some of these. Uh, politically homeless people and, and, and improve the party's yeah, fortunes. And that was certainly the hope, I think, for Tim Farron and for the party as a whole when Tim became leader, was mm. that by having, although he had been an MP during the coalition years, by never having been uh, a minister in the coalition government and have, by having voted against the coalition on a few sort of signature votes, uh, that he would allow the party, you know, he would be the route by which the party could move move beyond coalition. Um, obviously, that went a little bit wrong. <laughs> uh, now, partly, obviously, it went wrong for other reasons to yeah. do with sort of God. I was say, how, how much we, was that his fault? Um, but I think there was also what it demonstrates is that nonetheless, he did have two years as leader uh, and sort of it was only the last and perhaps the most important, but only the last sort of four weeks that were dominated by God. And in that previous period of time, having that new leader wasn't in itself enough to move the party on. So I think that's partly why I think it's another reason why I think it's really easy to sort of slightly overplay overplay some of this. The other thing is that you know, if you look at who might be in the running to be the next leader of a party, of the three obvious front runners, you know, Ed Davey, Joe Swinson and Leila Moran, two of the three, Ed and Joe, were ministers in the last government. Mm. And therefore, however much they might want to talk about moving on, etc., it's going to be, you know, sentence number two of pretty much every news story and description of them as, you know, if one of them ends up um, as leader. It's true, isn't it? Because isn't it really, I mean, the Lib Dems have always been, as, as, a, as an outsider, they've always been good at having retail mm. policies that are attractive to a certain demographics that they want to target. And the obvious thing I'm going to bring up is tuition mm. fees. Not only is a, a retail policy mm. that students liked, mm. but then going back on that, create a trust issue. Mm. So these, oh, are big, but, these, are, these are big but, issues. But again, though, up. you see, you're, you're going a bit for the, for the conventional wisdom rather than the evidence. Mm. So you look at the polling figures, actually. Lib Dem support obviously dropped across the board a lot. But Lib Dem support was consistently during the coalition years and indeed since higher amongst younger people. So basically, the younger a voter was, the younger a voter is, the more likely they are to support the Lib Dems. There's absolutely no sign there that uh, the tuition fees issue disproportionately hit the party amongst younger voters. And what's more, if you look at the path of the party's support in the opinion polls, the party's support sort of fell off the edge of a cliff between sort of conclusion of the general election in May 2010 and autumn 2010, before the Brown report on what should happen on tuition fees reported, before, in fact, a lot of the other things that people like hurling at the Lib Dems, uh, particularly people on the left, happened either. That it was so the, the very act. Of, well, I think it was the very act of going into coalition. Right. And and this is partly why the party has been, you know, in the twenty seventeen election, made a big play of ruling out going into coalition. It was sort of that sense of a mismatch between, you know, you spent your sort of time saying how different you are from the other parties and how much you disagree with them, and now you've gone into coalition with one of them. Especially the sort of optics around 
uh, you know, things like that Rose Garden press conference yeah. or Nick Clegg and David Cameron sitting right next to each other on the front bench. It didn't give an impression of of a party that was, look, we really disagree with these guys on a lot of stuff, as indeed the Lib Dems did. And if you any, anyone wants to go and Google Mark Pack 21, you will almost certainly get my list of 21 extreme Tory things that the Lib Dems stopped during 2010 to 15. But the visual image was not was not of that. The visual yeah. image was of, oh, you guys are now really chummy with these people. That said, had the Lib Dems done some sort of deal with Labour, exactly the same would have happened because there'd have been a whole other chunk of people who said, but hang on a minute, you were just telling us how much you dislike them and now you've got into it. So the big problem, in a way, was the party didn't have a big enough sort of core support of people who voted Lib Dem because they really wanted the Lib Dems. Yeah. And I think that, you know, is one of the issues. So although I... the similarities between the Lib Dems mm. and the DUP may be few and far between, mm. I think it's fair to say, that's the kind of role you would see for the Lib Dems in the future yeah. in an event where there is a minority yes. Labour or minority Conservative yeah. government. Well, well, actually, I think the key thing the DUP have got right, or at least circumstances mean that it works for the DUP, is they have a hard core of support, mm. which is sufficiently dedicated to the DUP and its causes, that it is happy to see the DUP do all sorts of deals in furtherance of the cause. The problem the Lib Dems have is we don't have that hard core of support. And so doing a pragmatic set of deals to get the best out of the mix of things that you support for, etc., ends up undermining your support and weakening the party. Uh, the Lib Dems have always been, I mean, a coalition of... Mm. Liberals, social democrats, yeah. and so on. So, I mean, as a, I guess as the party, mm. as we sit here today, mm. is there a ascendant sort of uh, faction, if that's the right word, of those two things? I mean, the Orange yeah. Book Liberals were very much the, the ones in charge under yeah. Clegg and yeah. so on. And well, where is it now? And not really. And I, and I think the um, you know the Orange Book versus Social Liberal sort of David Laws versus say Simon Hughes differences can be. You know, it can be exaggerated, but there are definitely some differences. But perhaps the best example of the differences between, say, David and Simon is, you know, if 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 the government were to discover £10 billion down the back of the sofa, what would you do with it? Mm. David Laws's instincts were always very much more around cutting taxes and Simon Hughes much more around spending that money on public services. And, you know, genuine difference, although one shouldn't overdo it between those two instincts. Um, but it's a long time since the government's had any loose change down the back of the sofa. And so, I, so that difference of opinion, which sort of still exists is not really that relevant because um, it's that's not the broader context. I think what's also the case is that um, what is in many ways dominant now instead of a little issue in terms of sort of, you know, remain versus leave, yeah. that again is a very much a unifying force. So if you look at, uh, you know, there are a couple of Lib Dem MPs who are a bit less, you know, Romani than their colleagues, you know, Norman Lamb, a bit less Romani, Stephen Lloyd, not voted quite the same way as all of his Lib Dem colleagues, always in sort of deference, he says, to, you know, the views of his constituents. So although he is a sort of pro-European, he's not quite voted the same way always as his colleagues. Um, that's a pretty modest sort of division in the party compared to, say, the Europe divisions on Europe between Labour, Labour and the Tories. But also, therefore, that huge unity on Europe, the lack of relevance of this sort of trade-off between tax cuts and, and, and extra public spending means it's a relatively straightforward time for the party to be I united. suppose there's an argument that says... Okay, you don't want you never want to be a single issue party. You always want to even UKIP wanted to try and branch out from that as much as it could. But being the party of remain or even return come next year, um, could keep the lights on with the Lib Dems. But then there is obviously a risk of that, isn't there, about being all about one yeah. issue. Well I think it will work successfully if the party makes it not just about the issue, but using the issue to illuminate what we stand for more broadly. Mm. 
um, because being you know in favour of Remain is not just about a particular set of formal arrangements with the, with the currently rest of the European Union. It's also about a general outlook on life uh, between, for example, seeing it as uh, when different people cooperate, you can both be better off. And that it's not, you know, if Holland is doing well, that somehow doesn't do down Britain. Mm. And if Britain and Holland cooperating means we both end up better off, that's the sort of vision of the world that you have. Um, that is very different from the very much sort of zero-sum game, if I'm better off, you're worse off type politics you see, especially uh, amongst UKIP, sort of take, take sort of extreme Do you think there's demand for that at the moment? Because we keep hearing about, and I want to come to this idea mm. of a centrist party mm. and the Lib Dems filling that void. <coughs> but I mean, is there an appetite for that at the moment? Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm struck by this, almost contradiction between people saying that well you know there's this open there's lots of people that are politically homeless at the moment yeah. there's a is there going to be a new centrist party etc but then the fact that Labour and the Tories got 82-ish percent of the vote at the last general election doesn't feel like people are sort of turning against the two big parties does it so where do the Lib Dems fit in all of that yeah, well, I, well firstly I think there is a bit of turning against the big two parties if you look at uh, for example, opinion poll data over the last year, and I think, if I remember rightly, uh, it's the election data account Ian on Warren, Twitter. Yep, yep. Uh, Ian has also tweeted about this. I've also blogged about it. You can see a steady decline in the two-party share. And it's a steady decline that's well you know, well, well above the use of statistical noise you might expect. There is a real trend there. It's not a massive trend at the moment, but if it carries on as it has over the last year, over the next year, then then that will really begin to be quite noticeable. So there is a bit of sign from that. You can see it from things like local council elections, etc. Um, but I think you also saw it at the early stages of the general election uh, until it all went horribly wrong for the Lib Dem <laughs> election campaign. Um so I, I would say that it's not so much that there isn't an appetite there for something different from the two parties, but it's that all this host of new parties and the Lib Dems as well and I guess you would also say the Greens and UKIP no, no other party is yet really providing something that is that appetising in terms of it being successful at attracting attracting those people who feel a bit homeless and therefore they revert to well I guess I have to choose between which of Labour or Tories am I least unhappy with. I suppose to start to wrap this up I mean if we look at if we assume, and I'm one of the people that kind of mm. assumes this, that there isn't going to be a sort of new centrist mm. party because of well, well, various... Well, seven already, <laughs> whatever the count is. For various yeah. reasons. But so if you take the view that, and you might disagree mm. with this, that the Lib Dems are the kind of centre grounds mm. and they ought to be getting those politically homeless people, but for whatever reason, okay, they might be at 11% with YouGov, a bit less of some others, but they're clearly not mopping those people up at the moment. Where do they where do they go from here? Because maybe the idea of the Lib Dems being centrist is not something that a lot of Liberal Democrats would enjoy. I don't know, but you do ask people what to, in opinion polls where they would put them. They tend to put the Lib Dems yeah. in the middle, don't they? So they're clearly not mopping up these voters in a way that they might be able to. So how do they do it? Or should um, they be doing it? I, I guess, in deference to my Lib Dem colleagues, I better add the usual objection that Lib Dems have to the left right spectrum and centre and so on. So although I wouldn't quite use the same. Uh, the same language to characterise it. I think definitely there is a huge group of people who sort of, I think you could probably call them small L liberal and who don't feel that the current Labour and Tory parties really represent them. I definitely would agree with that, mm. That although I'd sort of describe it a little bit differently from the way you did. I think the challenge for the Dems is twofold. One is 
to secure enough media and public attention that people actually notice them. Because bear in mind, most people pay, you know, the analogy I often use is most people pay as much attention to politics as I pay, play, uh, pay to women's hockey. As in once every four years when the Olympics comes around, particularly if the home team is doing quite well, I begin to pay a bit of attention. I can begin to remember the names of some of the players and then roll forward another six months and I've forgotten almost all of it and I have no idea what's going on. So politics is like that. So the one is the need to grab attention. That may come through events. It may come through a lucky break with what parliamentary by-election happens or through Brexit or whatever. Um, But then the other... <clears throat> the other element alongside the sort of grabbing attention is then the being able to show sufficient success because um, it's yeah, perfectly reasonable for someone who's, say, pro-European to look at Jeremy Corbyn's record on Europe and number of times he's voted with the likes of, you know, Tory right-wing Eurosceptics such as John Redwood against the creation of the EU, against Britain joining the EEC initially and so on. But he's got a very Eurosceptic voting record. But if you're a pro-European and you think, well, OK, Corbyn is not exactly an out-and-out pro-European champion at the bit to fight the battle, uh, but he's not Theresa May. He's not the Tories. And so I think there's a lot of almost it's tactical pro-European voting that Labour picks up at the moment. And to, to eat into that, what, what we and the Lib Dems need to do is to be much more successful than we have been. And it's one of those frustrating, you know, oh, we'll be more successful if so more good, people support us. A good could maybe change yeah, the Yeah, or po- I think the round of local elections in May, maybe a party leadership election next year. There's quite a few different possible opportunities next year, which is why, you know, when we were chatting before recording, I think one of the mistakes in political punditry is often to under- try to understand too much would look at, spend too much time worrying about what's actually going on at the moment and mm. what's going to happen next week, as opposed to thinking what's the range of different possible scenarios out there and what are the odds on each of them. So, because in a way, yeah, the Lib Dems are hurrah, we're 11% with two different pollsters at the moment. Brilliant, we're rocking it. Uh, but you look at the number of opportunities out there over the next year, which might give the Lib Dems a breakthrough. That makes the, the outlook for the party look rather, you know, rather more positive on the upside. And final couple of questions. I mean, are there are there any other retail issues? I mean, it's never going to be one issue, but are there any other retail issues, as it were, that you think, uh, or political issues, you think the Lib Dems could be capitalising on that they may be not as much at the moment? Well, I think the when played well, the one of the advantages of the Brexit issue is that it allows you to talk about a wide range of different things that are of concern to people. Um, and in particular, I think the, the, the connection between Brexit and the NHS is a really important one, because the NHS is obviously the other big, dominant, consistent, you know, of most concern to voters issue that comes out again and again uh, in the polls. Uh, and the connection between things like, you know, Britain being in or not in your atom and what that means for access to radioactive isotopes and collaborating on research and so on. You know, there are some slightly more sort of technical connections there, but also really basic things like, you know, is the NHS able to recruit enough uh, enough skilled workers and how, you know, d- d- does the, what looks like it might be the beginning of really quite a serious loss of skilled workers, uh, of, of people leaving Britain uh, to sort of return to other countries in the EU. There, there are lots of opportunities there to make it not just about Brexit, but also about about the NHS. Um, and I think the other the other issue, which is sort of, is one that the Tories have been overall slightly lucky to avoid really hitting them so far. I mean, it's just not... The Tory government is not exactly a well-run, smoothly functioning government at the moment. And so there is a big opportunity for any opposition party to benefit from that. And there are still some quite significant chunks of the country, especially across southern England, where the Lib Dems are the obvious you know, party that you turn to if you're unhappy with the Tories and want to give 
the incumbent government and often the incumbent yeah. council as well. People can easily in. forget that it's not always about Labour versus Lab versus Con in every area. Of course, mm. it's not. Um, finally, I mm. suspect you're going to fudge this one, but I'll ask you anyway. Is there any, is there a particular potential Lib Dem leader that you think is best placed to uh, take advantage well, of these opportunities, as you call them? To to answer a different question from the one you asked me, <laughs> the one I, the the person I would suggest uh, listeners it's not you, is look it? out because, for I mean, the well, are... I've got the right initials, so I did tweet. You know, I think the compromise on whether the next Lib Dem leader has to be an MP or not is just you have to have the initials MP. Yeah, I'd go for go. that. Um, but I think if you're looking at the, at the betting betting books at any, any any point and thinking who might be worth worth a flyer, I mean, yeah, Layla Moran, Joe Swinson, Ed Davey are the obvious front runners. Two of them, however, were ministers in the last government. All three of them thought about and decided not to stand for a variety of sort of personal reasons last time round. So it, so it feels like that's a field of front runners where there may well be a wild card entry. Who might? And I think the most likely wild card entry um, in that sense, my tip would be have a look at what odds you can get on Christine Jardine, Liberal Democrat MP for Edinburgh West, elected for the first time. Uh, at the last election. So she, like, say, Leila Moran, has this issue about, you know, do you want to be leader when you're just new into parliament, mm. etc. Uh, but she has, you know, an OK-sized majority. Boundary changes, you know, don't don't sort of completely wipe out her sort of hopes of getting re-elected and all of that by any means. And also quite a lot of experience sort of um, inside and outside politics before she became an MP as well. Mm. So I think definitely it's a bit of a wild card. But, you know, if you're, you're looking for your, who's at 20 to 1, who's worth a little bit of a flutter, uh, she would be she would be my tip there you go listeners don't say we don't give you anything uh, Mark Pack thanks as ever for your time my pleasure great to talk to you again that's all we've got time for for this part one of part two of two parts of the polling matters this week if you like what you hear as ever please do share us on social media give us a positive rating on iTunes or other podcast apps maybe even a nice comment it all helps share the share the audience uh, get the podcast out there we very much appreciate it but as ever thank you listener for listening and uh, we'll, there'll be more episodes in the coming weeks and also later this week where me and Leo will be looking at the numbers in a bit more detail so thanks for listening <laughs>